Welcome to the Mount Hammer Podcast, episode 116. I'm Mo, and joining me today, Steve looks like he's trying not to laugh. What's so funny? Just the way that you went from um, sort of normal voice to broadcaster voice, I just thought it was... Called, it's called being a broadcaster, Steve. So. That's exactly why I laughed as well. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Mount Hammer Podcast. But you don't talk like that either, so... Whatever. This is the podcast. I'm Mo. He's Steve. She's Al. Hi, everyone. Hi. Thanks for killing Hi. my vibe. I've uh, got loads to get through today. We're going to be doing the next edition of the Matt Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame in just a bit. I think some interesting opinions are going to come out of this one if, mm. uh, if what we've kind of chatted about briefly is uh, any indication. Uh, don't forget that the latest issue of Metal Hammer is out right now. It's a world exclusive interview with Lamb of God, Randy Blythe. Lamb of God, Randy Blythe? Lamb of God's Randy Blythe. And we also recently unveiled some special Lamb of God bundles featuring an exclusive cover and an excellent specially commissioned art print by the one and only Luke Priest. Uh, you may have seen him doing art for the likes of Metallica and Ghost and Ozzy Osbourne, amongst others. And um, we got to do a special Lamb of God piece just for this bundle. You can get that and the regular edition of the issue at tinyurl.com slash buyhammer, as well as out in the shops if you happen to be out there at the time. I'm just going to shut my window. Give me two seconds. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. Oh, okay. Fine. Oh, I didn't know this was still a thing. Oh, Steve's eating um, delicious chocolate truffles. Wow, that was some great, uh, great t- time filling, guys. That was <laughs> real pro work. Snitch. Fucking snitching me and reading my chocolate. I thought we were breaking. Oh, dear. Look. It's nice outside. I was going to try and have the window open, but some dogs started barking and this has to be professional. So it's not happening. It's not happening. We're just going to all sit here and sweat. Uh, so yes, Lama God Issues out now. Um, tinyworld.com slash buy hammer. If you go to the, um, the website that leads to my favorite magazines, you can also uh, pick it up digitally, get it delivered straight to your um, device, uh, get a subscription, individual issues. It's all there. As always, we really appreciate your support very much. Uh, we had some sad news to start off this week. Um, news broke on Monday uh, that Paddy Bowden, who is the estranged wife of Iron Maiden singer Bruce Dickinson, has passed away uh, after what Bruce described in a statement as a tragic accident. And um, Bruce Dickinson's statement adds, our children, Austin, Griffin, Kia and I are devastated. Out of respect for Paddy, we won't be making any further comments at this hugely difficult and painful time for our family. Um, obviously, it goes without saying, but uh, everyone at Metal Hammer here uh, sends our love and thoughts to the Dickinson family. Um, so yeah, thoughts with them right now. Um, what do you guys think of this Serge Tankian news that's come out this week? That he's planning to release a new EP that was originally intended as System of a Down music. Bit weird. It is a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. I feel like, why couldn't it be a new EP of System of a Down music? <laughs> um, well, yeah. Sorry, go on. Uh, well, I mean, as if, if some of you might know, I've been um, I've been listening to a lot of System of a Down recently because there's something on the Metal Hammer website of every System of a Down album, not just every System of a Down album, but their other extracurricular activities ranked from worst to best. And unsurprisingly, um, that I did, which unsurprisingly, I put most of the System of the Down stuff above their other stuff because let's be real as good as i think that first scars and broadway album is for example system of a down are fucking brilliant when like i'd kind of forgotten how great they were 
until I went back and listened to those records because it's been such a clusterfuck over the last decade or so. Like the live shows have been bad. The infighting's really weird. And like Dictator, that last Scars and Broadway album that came out, you know, that had been sitting there for six years. I just don't know what they're playing at. It's so weird. It's depressing. Some kind of what is very clearly a completely insurmountable creative difference going on, isn't there? Um, yeah. Like, it was interesting. They, we know they've both been writing System of a Down music, as in they being Darren and Serge. We know that's happened. We know they've both, as we're now confirmed by what Serge is planning to release, they've, they've written stuff that they intended for System of a Down, but somewhere along the way, they can't make these ideas come together to make actual systems without music. It's just crazy. Then they shouldn't be a band, should they? <laughs> I mean, that's don't go off and milk your back catalogue for loads of money and play these crap shows that you've been playing. Just don't be a band. Like I'd, I'd rather they just split up and went, do you know what? We don't really like each other. We can't get on. It doesn't work. We're not going to do anything. I mean, they obviously it's their music. They've got the right to do whatever they want with it. But it's so messy now that it's they are every year they are like diluting the quality of their own obituary because it just gets more and more sort of ridiculous with every passing year i think system of a down and now when you hear this it's like oh we we're going to use this for system of a down but now i'm going to put it out anyway it's like ah oh, i don't know i'm just i'm done with them now to be perfectly honest what do you think how yeah, it's just kind of annoying. It's like um, if anybody read our top 50, uh, what was it? Top 50 metal bands as voted for by the fair readers of Hammer. We had a thing about System of a Down in there and I was doing some research and going back to old issues of Metal Hammer. And there was issue uh, 147 way back in the early 2000s. And they were talking then about conflicts in the band. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I hadn't really known any of the background of that about sort of how just how different they were and how often they did clash and so you know they were obviously the seeds of that were there from the beginning and it sort of must have got to a breaking point and you just think what is it exactly that just can't be resolved you know like what is so terrible about their working process or the different directions that they just can't work that out it, yeah. you know that's that's like what almost 20 years ago now that they were doing that interview and talking about it it's kind of mad you know other bands have sort of come through that and lost members have had members come back and sort of work things out over the course of two decades but with them it's just complete silence you've got no idea what's going on behind the scenes what conversations are had they're they're different people now so what they were 20 years ago yet still these whatever they are, these creative differences or personality clashes still persist. It's just, it's really interesting. Mm. I'd I'd love to know more about it, but they don't really give specifics, do they? They just kind of say it's not going to happen. But that's not a unique thing in bands per se in general, is it? I mean, that's not like that's never happened before. Oh no, it's it's been so long. I think that's the thing that really brought it home for me reading this. It's been 20 years that they could, you know, and people change so much in 20 years. It's now longer between the last System of a Down album and now than it was between, uh, it was how long we were waiting for Chinese democracy. Yeah. It's mental. But the thing is, it's like, it, I mean, no one says that about, I don't know, Caius. Do you know what I mean? Or because Caius, like Josh doesn't want to do anything with Caius, so they're not a band. That's it. And, or 
you know, the kind of the clamour for a Pink Floyd reunion that happened for years and years and years and years. It never really got properly resolved. It never happened. They weren't a band. Forget about it. But when you're actively going out and touring and paying, charging people money and you're having to stand on stage with each other, it's such a weird conflict of, like, things that they're putting out. Do you know what I mean? They are, to all intents and purposes, still a band, but yet they just go, well, we have absolutely no intention of recording or writing or releasing new material. Like, you've got to be one or the other, haven't you? Surely, I can't think of another band that have gone, oh, we absolutely cannot write music together, but we are still, because we hate each other so much, but we are still a band. We are still a working band. Mm. I just yeah. found the little bit that we published, actually. I'm not sure of the exact year, but it was early 2000s. It says, uh, like, we interviewed three of them. I think it was Darren, Serge, and Shavo. It says, all three interviewed members freely concede the arguments of Rock Systems' boat. And then Serge says, um, there's been some military moments, a few commander incursions here and there. And then Darren, after a bong hit, says, it's disturbing. There are moments of tension and people getting on each other's nerves. But things that might have broken up other bands haven't broken us just because of that closeness. Well, yeah. I mean, that all just sounds like fairly standards band fair, doesn't it, really? As Steve said, I guess there's always going to be tension in bands. I think people... Maybe a lot of people don't realise that once most kind of veteran bands get past their kind of third or so album, a lot of the time they're not like... Best mates. Yeah, best <laughs> mates together against the world. You know, it's, it's obviously it's still something they pour a lot of passion to, but it's also their job. And a lot of time, you know, there's a lot of big bands in the world, probably most big bands in the world, who don't actually hang out with each other on their days off or their time off. Like That's not how the dynamic works. But yeah, system's a weird one because they're just, it's, I guess it's hard when you know how brilliant a band have been and how passionate they've been and how important they've been. It's hard to conceive that, you know, they're all still passionate about music. They're all still passionate about politics. When you look at what Serge has done um, in that realm in the last few years, you can see that his passion for that kind of stuff hasn't gone away at all. But their passion for doing it together, or at least their ability to overlook their differences to make that connection happen it's just not there um and you know i've seen them be good in recent years i've seen them be not good in recent years live like i'm still happy for systems at all because like you know that's their job if they want to go make money and people are going to pay tickets knowing what they're going to get i think that's up to them but um there's still a small part of me that wants an album but then i don't really know i, I don't know i feel like this search thing is going to be interesting for me because to me this is the first definitive actual if what he's saying is true and this is system of a down music basically or, or was meant to be i think it's going to be the first and maybe last definitive sign of whether system would have been able to produce something special because if that if he puts this ep out and it's like the best thing he's ever done as a solo artist but you just feel maybe it's missing a little bit of darren magic on there then to me that says the potential is still there for greatness but we don't know until we hear it will we I don't even know. I mean, maybe you know, maybe you've read about it more, but when it says originally intended as a system of down project, does that mean other members may have had input at some point or does it mean he literally wrote this by himself? Um, I didn't get the impression other system members were involved, but um, I mean, they could have been. I mean, that's one of the things that other artists do quite a lot. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but sometimes bands kind of break up or go on hiatus and then 
one of them will do a project and then they'll actually get some of the other members of the band in on that project. It always annoys me when that happens because it's just like, I'll just fucking do the project then. Um, it would be quite funny if you just had a Darren like silo on this, on this thing or something. You'd be like, oh, come on. <laughs> it makes no sense to go, like, it, I can't imagine, if they, if they really aren't capable of getting the studio and working together and doing so, I, I can't imagine Darren being like, oh, you know, we worked on those songs that didn't really work out. You have them, mate, you have them. Adam, like you release them under your name. No, yeah, it wouldn't have. You know what I mean? Like, said it's got loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of unreleased songs as well. Yeah, they've all, like, uh, but the, the, the common dynamic seems to be from what I've, from what's been put out there, that there's Surge and then there's the other three. And I'm not saying we should blame Surge for any lack of system material at all, by the way. But that's, you know, I've, I've seen stuff different members have said where they've all got in studio together and they've done stuff but there's just that extra thing missing that would get Surge in as well and and make it a full system of a down um, writing session or whatever. But I, I don't know, man. Like, we'll see. They're one of the greatest bands of all time. And this to me, this will be a, a, maybe a final indicator of if we even want new system of a down music, let alone on, on if, we, if we'll get it. I'm hoping it will be good anyway. I'm, I'm keen to hear it. Um, in other news, uh, Marilyn Manson's official photographer, Peru, who we've worked with at Mount Hammer on our, uh, on our last Marilyn Manson cover a couple of years back. Uh, he's releasing a new book featuring hundreds of photos he has taken of Manson over the years. Now, this guy has been um, in Marilyn Manson's uh, posse for um, literally decades now. The new book is titled 21 Years in Hell. It's going to chart the singer's career since 1998, which when you think about Manson's life and career across those 20, well, he says 21, 21, 22 years. That's a lot of stuff and a lot of evolution and a lot of moments in his life that he could have captured. Yeah, interesting to see how this will turn out. I may have an inkling of how it will turn out and it <laughs> may have turned out very well. And you may be able to hear more <laughs> about it from us very soon. <laughs> Let's leave. Oh, that, was, that was very subtle, Eleanor. What you were saying there. <laughs> I'm known for being subtle. It's my middle name. No, it's not. Uh, it's <laughs> let's not. do the album of the week, shall we? Yeah. Shall we? Yeah. Let's do that. Um, there's quite a few cool albums out this week. New Wolf Tooth album out this week. If you like, if you just like Kickass Heavy Metal, listen to that New Wolf Tooth album. New Caligula's Horse album out. New Old Man Gloom album. Um, ISIS guys involved in that I think and all sorts uh, if you're into that vibe um, but we've some, done something a little bit different uh, we're going to review the I think this is the fifth album believe it or not from uh, a Norwegian band called Baron Womb I was not surprised at all when I found out this band were Norwegian um, when I saw the name for some reason I kind of thought it might be like a doomy slow what are you doing I was just going to big up one more album, if you don't mind, before we get into this, Merlin, because I didn't realise, can I just say, there's a band called The Ditch and the Delta, and their album is a self-titled album. It's fucking amazing. I didn't realise it was out this week. It's amazing. You have to go and listen to that band. It's absolutely brilliant. If you like Mastodon, Cross with Deftones, it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. Anyway, go on. All right. Well, I feel like we've thrown this album under the bus now, but uh, no, we're going to do the album. <laughs> I just—I would have said this before, but I only just found out that it's out on Friday. I so. didn't even know about this, so yeah. that's fine. Go listen to that album as well. That's really good. Like I said, there's loads of good shit, but we only got time to do one uh, most weeks. So yeah, we're going to do this Baron Room album. Now, if you like um, Larry Gutter Punk, 
occasionally slightly blackened, kind of hardcore meets rock and roll noise. Think like a Vel attack. I uh, think every time I die, bit of blood command in there as well. Um, I think you're going to like this album very much. What do you guys make of this record? Oh yeah, this is a bit of me, this record. I like this stuff uh, in general. Um, there's another Norwegian band that came out last week called Danger Face, who, who are um, a similar sort of thing. And I like Danger Face. Yeah, they're good, aren't they? They're really good. There's just something about this whole kind of Scandi rock, Scandi punk um, hardcore thing, which is just super cool. I think sort of post Turbo Negro, there's been a whole bunch of these bands and most of them are fucking great. Although I just like this type of music quite a lot. So I don't know how much you should pay attention to my opinion because I'm, no. not, able, I'm not able to be that sort of... Um, balanced on it really i just love this shit no but i think this is this shit done very well what did you think Al? well i saw you mentioned danger face i saw them at Bilam, which was like um weirdly like a couple of weeks before lockdown so i was in norway in march which wasn't even that long ago and uh Bilam is like um an industry convention where they have kind of talks by people and then in the evenings they have performances by up-and-coming bands it's all genres but they have a couple of stages just for metal so I saw Danger Face there and it was, um, yeah, they're sort of like the Bronx, Cancer Bats, Gallows, etc. And it was just like really exciting. And listening, listening, listening to this record sort of put me back in that mindset of when I was at B-Lar because there are a lot of, kind of those types of bands playing on the metal stages. It's like, yeah, it's like, I don't know whether it's the Cavell attack effect, whether it's people kind of seeing what they've done and then, doing something similar i don't really know enough about this particular niche but it's just that thing of when you put the record on it feels like a big live explosion and i don't think i'm this is as much my taste as yours steve it's not really a record that i just maybe put on if i was sitting around but if i was at a venue and a band started playing all the songs on here it would be like really 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 fun and it just reminded me of that really fun live vibe it just it doesn't sound particularly like polished or anything it just sounds like a couple of people just doing a live thing and recording it this is literally a two-piece as well so yeah uh, although they have got more than one guitar on things yeah yeah imagine like it's they've all obviously recorded other parts yeah exactly but it, but it's it a... still sounds pretty um bare like pretty kind of raw yeah, I mean, it's interesting. They describe themselves as a, a Nordic noise rock duo. And noise rock is one of those things where it's, I mean, I recognise it as a genre, but it, it feels like such a vague term sometimes. But I think what's interesting about this album that maybe you wouldn't say about acts like Gavel Attack, for instance, and, and, you know, Every Time I Die and a lot of those bands, is that there's moments here where I, I, I was thinking, like, you know what, you could play this in, like, an indie club and it would go off. That's um, exactly what I thought. Yeah, the, the, the track, circle uh, jerk. That song, yeah, circle, circle jerk, jerk definitely. It's like really plinky plunky. It's like, oh, where did that come? The, from? Um, the song "Hairy Palms" as well. It reminds yeah. me of those bits on the Blood Command. Um, the Blood Command have done a couple of albums. On one of the Blood Command albums, where they almost go a bit Arctic Monkeys with the kind of like bounce down, bounce down, bounce down, bounce down, bounce like kind of guitar tone. Um, so that's really interesting, uh, and it's weird because you just think a lot of these bands in a different world, you could really see them being absolutely fucking massive. It's just weird that they kind of can incorporate these elements into an album that still sounds like an alternative, urgent, heavy rock record. 
Yeah, it's funny you say that actually because I was listening to I listened to the the singles before I listened to the album first, and a couple of those songs were released before the record came out, and I was a bit like, fucking, hell, I'm kind of surprised that Merlin's picked this because I mean I was just listening to the new Strokes album before that, and that's really like quite heavily influenced by Talking Heads and that kind of early New York thing, which like I personally I am a like I love, but I know you guys don't love it as much so i was like because and when you were mentioning sort of oh you know it's sort of every time i die in cavell attack i didn't get that straight away i was more like this is more like kind of yeah noise rock in probably not as manic as something like lightning bolt but maybe death from above 1979 who were a band who sort of they're kind of like queens of stone age do they kind of straddle that line between you know they're like a heavy band that indie kids can sort of go oh i'm into metal but they're also hard enough and rocky enough for sort of proper rock and metal fans to like them as well that's what that's kind of the genius i think of, of bands like queens of stone age or death from above or i guess even food fighters as well not that i think this sounds like food fighters really but um but yeah this is this is dead good this record like once i actually got the album in full i thought it was much better it's weird i, di- I wasn't that keen on the singles but when i got the record and it's they're put within the context of the record because everything else surrounding it is proper heavy mm. i thought those songs which at first i was a bit like eh, about were a hell of a lot better yeah they really pop um there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of this album really reminded me of wilson as well which is a band who i absolutely loved first album. debut album um full blast fuckery if we'd been doing the podcast when the album came out it would have been, we would have been raving about it non-stop um they sadly broke up last year but they were such a fucking great band and they are another one that really honed that kind of scatty hardcore gutter punk sound into something that was so catchy and kind of more of a like rock and roll vibe um and i think these call it punk and roll punk and roll exactly punk and bloody roll um and yeah it's just really cool and you know there's a lot of different layers to it as well we mentioned some of the stuff that goes into more indie territory i love the um i talked about blood command those kind of almost like disco punk kind of things they do with like the kind of rolling drum beats and that kind of really funky rhythm they get going i love that um, the tracker, be kind, have fun, and try not to die. Um, it, it kind of it starts off like a Wilson track, and then it devolves into this kind of shimmering stoner rock jam. That's really cool. Um, it's one of those albums that I think the first time you listen to it, you just kind of think, oh yeah, it's another another of these bands doing more of this kind of stuff. But I think it's a little bit more varied, and it's got a lot more layers to it than that. Um, and I hadn't even heard of these guys before. The album's called Lizard Lounge, by the way. I don't know if I said that. But um, uh, yeah, I hadn't even heard of these guys before this record. And um, I'm not that surprised that it's their fifth album because uh, they sound like a band that I really like, found their groove and know exactly what they're doing, which is really good. So if you like the sound of that and you're into all those bands we mentioned, you should definitely check out Lizard Lounge by Baron Room, which is out this Friday. Fear Loyal Blood. And then listen to the other band that Steve said, whose name I forgot already. They're called the Ditch in the Delta. It's, it's actually, it's available to stream now, but the physical release comes out today if you're listening to the podcast. So you maybe buy it or something. But, but this album's really good. The Baron Moon album is really good. You can never have too much of that kind of greasy punk rock um, sort of by way of old school rock and roll, I think. So yeah, good. Good, shit. good stuff indeed. Um, shall we go on to the Hall of Fame? Is it time? Let's, it is. Must be time. 
let's be what did you say <laughs> it must be time oh. what did you think i said i thought you said let's be time it doesn't matter let's all be time let's all be time together no it is time to do the new hall of fame uh i think most of you guys know how this works now but just in case you don't every so often we will nominate an artist to be debated right here on the metal Hammer podcast um over on the the facebook readers page facebook.com slash readers if for some reason you're not there yet and if you're not there where have you been um so we we, we nominate a band for to be debated we put all their albums up for a vote and the top two most popular albums by that artist according to you guys um we then debate and the album that we decide is most worthy goes into the prestigious and totally real and legitimate metal hammer podcast Hall of Fame. <laughs> so far, including Antichrist Superstar by Marilyn Manson, Seven Son of a Seven Son by Iron Maiden, and the self-titled album by Slipknot. So big, big albums. And um, I don't think we can be too surprised by the two Korn albums that made it through to this. We're doing Korn, and uh, it was the self-titled, the album that arguably invented new metal versus Follow the Leader, Arguably the album that firmly consolidated Korn as the biggest and most exciting band of metal at that moment in time. Is that fair to say for both of those? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think, I think so. it's really fair. I'm going to be controversial and say these aren't my favourite Korn albums out of Korn's whole discography, but I, mean, I can you know, totally see why they made it to the top of the vote. It's reasonable. Yeah, I mean, the vote, the, these two quite clearly won our vote. Uh, as I said, every album by the band was up for, for voting. Um, these two won it by far and away. Um, Issues was quite a clear uh, third place after that. I was quite pleased to see Untouchables do well, which is my personal favourite Korn album. Um, that was the first album that Korn released after I had got into them. Uh, and I, I think for me, that was the perfect blend of those like heavy, horrible riffs with that kind of more highly produced kind of groove and almost like party atmosphere that they had going on in the later albums they're just kind of starting to tiptoe towards that um obviously they've done songs like got the life and stuff before that I was literally thinking of got the life for me that's because we were listening to these two records again i was like this is sort of the first one that where it really felt like the party vibe even if it's like dark it's definitely. like get your boogie on <laughs> definitely um and yeah so for me like untouchables is my favorite corn record because i think it took that a bit further and was the best thing but um you know, these are probably the two most significant albums in Korn's career. I think they probably are the two albums that people talk about the most with Korn. And I think as well, you could make an argument that, um, you know, they're only four years apart, but I think you could make an argument for almost two different generations of Korn fans coming in through these records, because as much as the first one was uh, groundbreaking, genuinely responsible for an entire subgenre of metal, arguably produced their most famous song in the form of Blind, um follow the leader really did take them to a point where like i said they were the biggest thing in metal at the time and uh just when you thought that they wouldn't you know come out with another song that could ever match something like blind they came out with freak on unleashed which is just i mean when i got into corn that album wasn't even their most recent album and that was still the rec- the um song that was still getting the most plays on video channels so um yeah where should we start there's a lot to get into <laughs> is what i'm trying to get at with the debut album because it came out first what a good idea <laughs> can i also say before we start as well i think it's also worth saying that 
as good as the other records that you've mentioned that haven't got into this conversation are, I think it's also worth saying that the Nothing, the recent Corn album from last year, which is 25 years after they released their first album, is fucking brilliant. And there's not yeah. many bands that you could say that about. That is a great record. And I would have had no problem debating that as one of the the best corn albums i don't know exactly how high in their discography it would have got but i think it would have got pretty high so i think you have to say well done for corn just for a quite a spectacular level of consistency over the years yeah they, they the kind of actually about sorry merlin and just over you. i was going to say the same but about the serenity of suffering which is obviously another recent one i just love that record that to me is second after issues i think um which was the issues was the kind of the first one I really came in on and like rinsed um Serenity of Suffering absolutely love that record and yeah years and years and years after they began and it's that that formula really that we were just talking about of the um sort of bouncy catchiness with the darkness that album for me has really got that in that balance go yeah. corn go corn yeah just a brilliant band well I mean I call it one of those bands where I kind of think you like heavy music surely you surely you have to like corn like how can someone not like this band I love the fact that they had, um, you know, they had that weird mid noughties period where they started getting loads of extra band members out wearing bunny masks and all that stuff and all that weird shit that was going on, mm. um, which was interesting. But then I felt like just beyond that and kind of into the path to totality era and then had coming back just after that, they, they kind of reclaimed their crown as one of the best live bands in metal. And I think they've been that way ever since. Like Corn Turn Up on a festival set, you know, you're going to get an hour plus of just the best most fun most brilliant songs um ever in and i think maybe that's a good place to start with the corn album released october 11th 1994 of course produced by ross robinson who else with that kind of nasty like horrible kind of violence underbelly that this album has um when i think about what i love about corn and this is maybe giving away a big part of my opinion for this early that whole kind of fun swinging groovy vibe that came into their music it's just not really anywhere to be found here and i don't know if you can say this is like an enjoyable listen a lot of the time because it's even now it still sounds dark and horrible and just kind of uh, genuinely uncomfortable some of this album mm. which is which yeah. i'm saying is an absolute compliment because it's an amazing work of art but what i listen to corn for now this album just gives me a totally different vibe yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean out of the three of us, I think I'm, pro am I the only, I'm, I don't know, I suppose it depends where you do the cutoff, but I think the first two, people kind of think there's this big change post-Follow the Leader and certainly live, having seen the band a couple of times before Follow the Leader came out and then seeing them afterwards, the difference in their live show particularly is, or was, it was massive. They were not a fun sort of good time festival band back back when this album came out at all. Um, Jonathan Davis never used to speak in between songs. It was like no audience patter at all. No wave your hands. They used to throw themselves around like the fucking Dillinger escape plan. They were, it was, it was a, you know, a, a, a feral kind of live set. And I think they've, they've definitely morphed into something which is much more, um, enjoyable in the traditional sense of the word uh over the years not again not that that necessarily makes it better but 
um, there really is only one Corn album that sounds like the first Corn album in their entire discography, and that is that first record. I think people also tend to sort of put Life Is Peachy in there with it as well. I think even when you listen to Life Is Peachy, back to back with the first Corn record, there's far more sort of like low rider and wicked songs that are fun, like weird little bits that are just a bit of a muck around and bigger choruses, you know, songs like Adidas, which are a bit silly. I mean, even opening the, um, I know we're kind of going off a tangent here, but that's fine because we're doing cool. Um, even opening their second album with a song like Twist, like, yeah. you know, yes, that's a weird song. And if you played that to someone that wasn't into metal, they'd be like, what the hell is this I'm listening to? But that's kind of got a bit of a mischievous, like, thing about it just a kind of silly kind of scatty like 40 second song or whatever it is to start an album with it's basically an intro isn't it that track but it's just got a very very different vibe to the wretchedness of blind which okay has become an all-time metal anthem now but in and of its own and i think also with the production the production on this first corn album is so far removed from where they will go later in their career um again ross robinson doing what he does uh, and it just gives the whole tone of the record a completely different vibe. Um, I think we're all three of us at the, the Brixton show when they played it in full a few years back. Yeah. Yeah. I saw them um, the week before headlining Hellfest playing it as well. So I saw them do it in full twice, um, which is interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. What did you think of that show, Al? I'm trying to cast my mind back and remember it now. Completely put completely put me on the spot. I was actually just thinking about Ross Robinson. <laughs> I wanted to take it out of the Because <laughs> although you were saying sort of what he brought, you know, like he's doing his Ross Robinson thing. Like this was really early for Ross Robinson. He'd barely done anything. Like it's weird to think of how common a name he is now or how, you know, how big of a name he is. Like he's, he's as big a name as a musician in this world, like in the new metal world, the contemporary metal world. But, Back then, he'd barely done anything. He'd done, like, a Fear Factory album. And something by Wasp Merlin, which he would be excited about. Did he? I didn't know that. Yeah. The Crimson Idol. I did, I did not. I love The Crimson Idol. I did not know what Ross Robinson did that album. Yeah. That's mad. I have learned something today. That is absolutely bizarre. Yeah. I'm actually going to have to Google this. I wasn't there at the time, but I have read things sort of saying that this corn record sort of made Ross Robinson or at least sort of brought his name, you know, to prominence. And again, not, not sort of being there, it's hard to get a read on that, but if he'd barely sort of done nothing before this, and then this came out and you can sort of see how his reputation built and how he would sort of go on to do more of that like dark shit. Yeah. I think Ross Robinson's an in, like really, really integral part of what makes corn early corn corn, obviously. Um, he did, you know, he had done Fear Factory demos, I think, he did a, or yeah, and a Deftones demo as well, um, along around the same time as working with Korn. So he always gets pegged as this kind of new metal Uber producer, but I don't think that's a very accurate way to. I mean, I know he's done, he did Machine Head and then he did Slipknot as well, and he worked with a lot of the bigger bands around this. Was time. A, he was an assistant engineer on the um, on the Crimson Idol? Blackie Lawless did the main production on that one. That did, which is what threw me a bit. So. But, um, so then, yeah, that's even more kind of like, he was even less unknown than maybe we thought. Yeah, exactly. Very I mean, good. certainly Korn is his big breakthrough thing, but I do think the fact that he's worked with Blood Brothers and Glassjaw and Norma Jean and At The Drive-In and all these other bands mean that he's not really just like a new metal 
the guy who just makes everybody sound like new metal. Those bands wanted to sound like that. He happened to capture Corn, and Corn invented this entirely new thing. I don't think he, um, I think he certainly pushed Corn as and pushed Jonathan as far as Jonathan to to, yep. break, to breaking point, pretty much, didn't he? But yeah. I don't think that um, that's where they wanted to go. Mm. I think. I mean. Yeah. Well, that's where they needed to go. They might, I mean, I'm not sure Jonathan would probably like you see in interviews now where he said, Oh, Ross went too far and this and that. But I think he probably needed to go that way. And, and you know, if that record was, was kind of tempered or dulled at all, I'm not sure that it would be thought of as quite the kind of revolutionary thing that it was because that's, you know, like Jonathan's performance on it and what he did was. And when you think about what metal was like in, in 1994, when you think of even the big contemporary metal bands, you think of, you never got that level of emotion from uh, Rob Flynn or Phil Anselm. You know, you, you think about, you know, Fabio and Driven came out that year, fucking stronger than all Phil Anselmo, five minutes alone. And Phil Anselmo had become like the, the dude that all metal singers kind of want to emulate. And he's this macho proper macho posturing dude and then along comes this kind of skinny wimpy guy who likes Duran Duran singing about how he got bullied at school like it's just so so far away from what metal was at that point reframed a lot of masculinity in metal didn't it yeah. in many ways this album because like you said like when you kind of got the likes of Phil Anselmo just being the ultimate chest beating manly man front man um you know, and then you, yeah, you've got this like little skinny kid who's almost literally crying into the microphone about stuff that's happened to him. It just completely changed the way um, men could feel that they could portray themselves as as metal front men, which is which is fascinating in of itself. Um, I guess the main thing we're getting to is is that this this is an uncomfortable album. It's not a fun album to stick on, and I think people kind of default to this record being you know, the definitive corn album because it was so important and it, and it literally changed music. But um, it's the only album in their whole career that I have to appreciate in a totally different way and listen to in a totally different way. If I'm, if I'm, if it's like, it's a nice sunny day outside right now and corn are a band that I would consider just like putting on while I'm like going for a run or just walking about, like enjoying myself. Um, this would not be the album I'd put on to do that with. And I think that was reflected to get back to my points about 10 minutes ago um, when they played it in full because um, I remember afterwards we were talking about it and we were kind of like when when bands play classic albums in full you're kind of especially a band like Korn who was so good live and so exciting live you're kind of expecting this like like anthemic like oh yeah they're playing all these tunes no one's heard in ages oh this is so great yeah, yeah. but it wasn't really like that with the Korn record it was quite uncomfortable viewing and I mean only the band could could say this for sure but i didn't really get the impression that they really enjoyed playing those songs again like jonathan just didn't you could see that he's not in the same headspace that he was um at that point it was 20 years ago and who is you know mm. um it was a weird experience wasn't it yeah the only thing i can kind of liken it to was it, it, yeah you're right it's, it was it was it was a but they had to almost do an impression of what they used to be. And the only thing that, I mean, I'm actually the Manchester Preachers play the Holy Bible in full, which again is a super dark record. And now they're this kind of stadium 
indie band or whatever and watching those guys who wrote you know design for life and if you tolerate this and all these like nice songs having to go back and play these horrible horrible songs that they wrote like 20 years before they just it was like them doing an impression of themselves and watching corn doing their album that night it was like well yeah you know you're not that band anymore you're just not and that's fine that's it's all right to not be you know that they've evolved into something else but it was you know sometimes maybe bands shouldn't play they, they shouldn't revisit things and watching Jonathan Davis do daddy that night was like I don't I didn't need to see this really do you know what I mean anyone wants to see that particularly like even when you listen to the record and you know that it's coming and it's like you know that it's going to start playing and then you hear it and you're like oh do I want to listen to this do I want to turn it off uh, yeah just, I never listened to daddy yeah yeah exactly it's not a song I'm just gonna whack on I'm just looking at the set list now from that night and um I distinctly remember yeah they finished with daddy and then they went away and they came back on the encore and the, the encore was falling away from me here to stay and freak on a leash and like you could <laughs> feel you could feel the release in the crowd like yeah. when they kind of went on stage it wasn't really like a like a wow that was fucking amazing it was kind of like a I'm kind of glad that's that that's kind of done now which which you know is art should be uncomfortable art isn't there just to kind of make you have a lovely time but the the difference in the vibe in the room at Brixton and I've seen Corner Brixton Academy many many fucking times over the years I'm sure you guys have as well um you could just I can't remember the last time I saw a, a whole vibe in a room just change between two songs as they did between Daddy and um falling away from me it was just like all right now we're partying and then everyone just went off like you're used to at a corn gig um yeah a weird weird a weird time to to see them do that but uh, maybe testament to, to what an incredible album that was in terms well, of uh, being such a such a unique experience well i think the other thing that that show showed up which is sort of something which I mean, we mentioned it a bit with the sort of front loadedness of the Slipknot record, um, which people might have thought was a little bit controversial or whatever. I think even more controversy, what it shows up is that, you know, that Corn record, and going back and listen to it now, I think it's it's difficult to listen to it with 20, 20 years because it has been aped and copied and watered down and, you know, manipulated by so many other bands so many years for so long like you know by the time new metal reached its you know it was was ready for the knackers yard how many people had nicked every single idea off of that record and tried to reappropriate it in some other way it's really difficult to listen to it now without the context of thirty thousand other bands who have sort of you know stolen bits and bobs from it and cherry picked their favorite bits of it over years and years and years you can't really listen to it and hear it like people heard it in 1994 or you know like i remember hearing them in it would have been just before just before life is peachy came out was the first time i heard corn and i just could not imagine what it was i had no fucking idea absolutely no idea i was like every single facet of this doesn't appear to have anything to do with the type of music that I've been listening to, but yet it is heavier than all the other stuff that I've been listening to. It's more affecting. It's more dramatic. It's, it was just, it was like, there was nothing else like it, nothing else like it. Um, but listening back to it now, the second half of it is, is, I mean, to put politely patchy, very patchy. 
Like, and and I remember that Brixton show, the energy level really dropped. Post kind of shoots and ladders. Ladders, yeah. The energy level dropped off a cliff. That's yeah. exactly the same. Uh, after suits and ladders, it's just like uh, there's not really anything else I want to listen to on it. Um, even like Divine before Faggot, I'm like, it's, I'm not really that fussed, and th- that's why it's not like my top corn record. Um, but I do think I do love the corn aspects of this corn record, which sounds like a stupid thing to say, but. I didn't hear it when you heard it, Steve. I heard it obviously later than that, but it was like setting out all these corn things, you know, scatting, bagpipes, that really low, low bass. Like you were talking about sort of the lyrics, um, you know, sort of talking about how Jonathan, Jonathan's problems and kind of addressing all these um, issues with masculinity and how he wanted to be and like the underbelly of society, like, when you look at the stuff he's writing about, I mean, we'll talk about it on Follow the Leader as well, like um, songs like Pretty, but it's just so horrible. <laughs> it's so horrible. Um, and it's kind of mad that like, this was like a massive record when it's so horrible and mm. the themes are so mm. horrible. But yeah, I mean, I guess my point was, there's still things in there that are so corn focused that I've never seen anyone replicate Like you know, even people always talk about bagpipes and bring back the bagpipes and all the rest of it or the scatting. And it's like, people didn't really replicate that bit of it. They sort of took the more saleable bits of it, I guess. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, so it's weird. Cause look, yeah, of course you're right. It, it was a massive album, but things would kind of accelerate for them significantly over the course of the nineties. Should we very, and I, I want to say very briefly, cause we are supposed to be only doing the two records. Should we very briefly talk about life is peachy because I think it's quite telling that that album is in between these two. Um, it's often overlooked. It's kind of written off, not written off. I think it's still loved as an album, but it's still just kind of like titled as kind of like, oh yeah, it's a bit weird. Like, they went a bit experimental. They did some fun stuff on it. But anyway, then they went on to follow the leader and all this stuff happened. Like, is that fair? Like, does, does, does um, Life is Peachy not get a fair look in? Because it's an important part of their journey to get where they got to at the end of the 90s. I really, really like follow the leader um it's highs are not as high as either of the two albums that i think we're going to talk about but stuff like, like life I is peachy you mean life is peachy sorry yeah um life is peachy is as like wicked on life is peachy is brilliant um it's completely different from anything else that they've they've they did or ever really did well i say that they did kind of rap songs on um on the follow the leader after this but yeah, I think there's some there's some really really great songs on Life Is Peachy. I was super excited. I bought it the day it came out. You know, Good God is amazing. No place to hide's great. Um, Adidas is huge. Yeah, I had the single of Adidas. It had five different versions of it or something. Yeah, I know. Like, why did why did I have that? Like, why did I think that was a good idea? Got to collect them all. You're not a real fan. That's what it is. I don't know. That's what you have to get every single version. That's what you, you need to release. Like seven different singles and every fucking it wasn't even very good like it was just what was the point of it <laughs> i'm looking at them now there was a adidas synchro dub mix adidas under pressure mix adidas the wet dream mix i tried to think what that was um yeah no one ever wants fucking bonus remix versions of songs today why do the bands do this i've never understood it that was just a good way of making extra money and getting yourself higher up the yeah. chart back in the day, wasn't it? Fair, fair. Which, you know, I don't really have a problem with. 
Um, so yeah, I guess we agreed that um, Life is Peachy was, you know, a decent album, had some great moments on it. And then um, they really kind of went for broke on the album number three. Follow the Leader released August 18th, 1998. Um, you know, at this point in time, new metal as a genre has gathered real pace. Um, Steve's talked about it before when we talked about Slipknot, how, um, you know, you could almost argue that the genre was already starting to run out of steam, certainly its first generation. And then Korn come along with this album that is this kind of huge, bouncy, groovy, fucking... Uh, I mean, it's the first time they've done something where you can almost, again... There's moments like that on Life is Peachy, but like a lot of this album, it's almost like a fucking party album or something. It's just so huge sounding. Like if someone asked me to think of like an, a kind of 90s MTV generation metal album, Follow the Leader would be the first thing I thought of because it was just so vivid. The visuals are an iconic, the album art, the Freakin' Unleashed video. Um, yeah. Where do, where do we start with this album? Um, Freakin' Unleashed, one of the well, best songs ever written. <laughs> I was actually going to say the first song I heard because they released um, "Got the Life" as the first single, and as a absolutely massive, massive, massive Corn fan, I remember buying the single for "Got the Life" and taking it home and putting it on and going, "What the fuck is this shit?" <laughs> you I don't like it. What is this shitty oh. pop song? No, no. I, like now, I think it's amazing, but it was so different to you know when I was hammering "Helmet in the Bush." <laughs> <laughs> To be clear, that's a song he was listening to. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and, and predictable. Out on stuff speed. Like that. Uh, and then hearing this, I was like, what the fuck? Like, what is it? What, what the fuck's happened to Corn? Um, it was a massive shock to the system. Massive. Yeah. I mean, we, well, Al mentioned this straight up earlier when I talked about Untouchables moving them, you know further along that kind of big groovy anthemic route and then of course pointed out that you know got the life was two albums before that i mean even now that song is just fucking crazy like it, it it's the one that goes off more than any other track they ever did or do live like it just, as soon as you hear that like it's just off um and there's loads of that kind of stuff on here i mean yeah we should talk about freak on a leash um, I kind of said Blind's their biggest song ever, but Freak on the Leash is probably their biggest song ever, isn't it? It was absolutely fucking colossal. Um, music video uh, directed by Todd McFarlane as well, which is just cool as fuck. Uh, and yeah, animated. as I said... Can we say it's how, like, talk about the animation. I just love that so much with the girl and the hopscotch and the bullet. It's so good. Yeah, it was cool. I genuinely seemed really cutting edge at the time. I mean, um, as I said, the first song... I ever heard from Korn was Freak on a Leash and um, Issues had been out for uh, Issues had been out more recently but it was still Freak on a Leash that was always doing the rounds on music channels because yeah same here I mean, it never it never went as long as I was watching music channels back in the day that video would always come up um, and yeah the rest of the album has a, has a lot of that kind of stuff on it I mean there's um, they kind of they go back to the Ice Cube well again on this with um, his appearance on uh, Children of the Corn that's quite a fun track um, all in the family featuring Fred Durst. Like when Fred Durst tries his absolute hardest to like sound like a legitimate hip hop rapper. So bad, <laughs> it's so bad. I kind of love it because it's dorky, of like what it, it represents. It's you know, yeah, it's like a snapshot of time and like these two people in this like big genre like trading with each other. But it's it's like terrible. <laughs> I think it all points to just like 
Corn just having a sense of fun in their music. That you know, Trey Hardson from Far Side was on that album as well. I didn't realise this, but the kind of um, the weird little thingy that they do at the end of the album is it actually a Cheech and Chong rip? Yes, yeah, Cheech Marin's on it. Oh uh, yeah, I didn't even realise that was him until I read up on it later on. I mean, if that doesn't show you that Corn had come a little bit away from the kind of wretched, horrible, uh, emotional pull they were they were dragging us on four albums earlier nothing else will i also will put it to you friends of mine and corn experts that frequently got the life and dead bodies everywhere is the best run of three tracks corn have ever put on an album it's so good love it so much can we talk about that guitar tone as well like if you're going from the debut album to this album they just really like worked out that creepy but catchy guitar tone i don't know how to describe it i'm not a guitarist (laughs) you know the one i mean the creepy noise Yes. Yeah. 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 They didn't have like the creepy noise on the debut record, but then they have it on this. It was so much muddier. Everything on the debut app was like what I think Ross Robinson calls it the mud tone for that. Is that Ross Robinson or is it might have been it might be Rich Ward from Stuck Mojo who we mentioned before. I think he he calls it the mud tone. Um, (laughs) I always get those two mixed up. Oh, no, I just, it's, on a document, it's on that Metal Evolution documentary on the new Metal episode. Right, okay, okay. And it cuts between the two of them, and one of them says that. Um, but anyway, yeah, like, uh, the, the, I think Corn Corn by design is very kind of dirty sounding and muddy, and it kind of bleeds out the sides and stuff. Whereas, yeah, now you've got this super slick, perfectly produced, really kind of fat sounding, you know, um, it's produced like jiggy era hip hop, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, that's what it's meant to. That's it's meant to do the same thing to you as um, a fucking like a, a Puff Daddy song. Like yeah, it's meant to make you move that way. Yeah, definitely. And it's but it's so interesting that not only is it produced like that, but obviously we're seeing rappers appear on on the, this album. Um, you know, Fred Durst is on this record. Limp Bizkit collaborated with rappers as well. You know, Ice Cube went on the Family Values tour. Limp Bizkit went on tour with Eminem. Um, I actually uh, interviewed Wes Borland the other day for something that we've got coming up in Metal Hammer and we talked about this kind of general period and it's so fascinating how um, new Metal really did uh, kind of blend into the hip-hop world and and that's one of the kind of lazier things people often say like oh it's just like hip-hop meets metal it's crap or whatever but it was breaking down barriers in a, a speed no one had done before I mean I know we'd had Rage Against the Machine and obviously we'd have Faith No More kind of like stepping into that water a little bit we'd had you know anthrax and public enemy and aerosmith and run dmc but like this was a music scene which was genuinely breaking down borders where you would get fans from different worlds coming together um you would get tours like i mean i can't what would be the closest thing to a tour that has corn and ramstein and ice cube on it in 2020 like it was it's crazy what this time did for metal's perception of where it could fit in the world isn't it the mm. Anger Management Tour, that had Eminem, Papa Roach, what, 50 Cent or something on it? Yeah, that, that was the one with Biscuit on, yeah. Yeah. Um, but what you, like, this, this is all kind of within the same two to three year period. And it's just, it's amazing to think that's happening now. Like this era of metal really kind of brought the genre into the mainstream consciousness in a way it had never done before. Never. Even when metal was in its quote-unquote 80s heyday, you wouldn't see Iron Maiden fucking hanging out with like Duran Duran or something, do you know what I mean? It just didn't happen. But, yeah. um, and, and Korn were every bit as much a part of that as, you know, many of the bands who probably got a bit more stick for it than they did. Mm. Yeah, it's true. Um, I think it's because Korn, 
I mean, the weird thing about like um, Limp Biscuit are quite obviously it's it's rap metal. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I mean, particularly on the Corn Corn, people talk about the sort of hip hop influence, but there's no rapping on the first Corn record. And there's, I mean, I would I would even say it's not really. John Davis doesn't really rap. He scats a bit, but he's yeah. not a ra- he's not a rapper. No, um, barks. Yeah, and he's he's got like what he always had i mean i think even going back to to the first corn album he always managed to find that same thing that you know this was a sort of era of massive sloganeering in metal wasn't it it was like you know post sort of fuck you i won't do what you tell me let freedom ring with a shotgun blast like all that stuff became everybody needed to have a, a thing what you shout and it's interesting he yeah. says go yeah. <laughs> so are you, well are you ready yeah. Or just okay. Yeah, or sick up the same old boin so I dig a hole sick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um but and yeah, and the kind of I think Jonathan was always really good at bringing hooks into stuff. And I think, you know, like the one thing probably the with Deftones being the only other band who ever kind of um a lot of these new metal bands talked about how they're influenced by not just hip hop, but sort of goth and eighties new romantic music as well pop music and jonathan davis has got a really his vocally especially on this record he's got a really great kind of pop sensibility like the choruses are so catchy even if it's just like it's on it's on it's just the chorus is just it's on come on it's on come on but it's so catchy it's so instant and you know even as someone i got to the point in 1998 after loving the corn album when Follow the Leader came out and I'd heard that first song. I still bought it the day it came out, but I was like, all right then, let's see. Let's see what you've actually got. Like, what is this going to be? And once I got over the shock of what it actually was and how, you know, how they'd, they'd, they'd made a run for it, definitely. They definitely had gone for all that stuff you were talking about. Let's be as big as the biggest bands are on MTV and whatever. Yeah, if definitely. You're, if you're going to do that, you better write some fucking great songs. And you say the best three song run in Korn's back catalogue. Maybe. I mean, I'd actually say four. I'd put it's on as, as the, as one as well. That first four songs on that record are outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. Out of control. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a fantastic album and um, probably, yeah, well, not probably it's definitely top heavy, isn't it? Like, you know, there's some good stuff in the second half, but you can't, say anything competes with that first one of four tracks well it's kind um, of um the second half seems to be more reflective it's like obviously this is a snapshot of time and you're talking about the hip-hop influence and how they're having a bit more fun and like mixing with other people in like the rock star world i don't know what you'd say like more mainstream celebrities and that kind of thing and sort of coming to terms with their fame as well because you've got stuff like um reclaim my place where Jonathan was talking about people still calling him a fag just because he's sensitive. And like, I think Seed was about um, looking at his son and wondering if he wants to actually like be a rock star because it's like a lot of hard work and a lot of pressures of fame and that kind of thing. It's like, it's, it gets quite reflective towards the end. Like I'm not, I'm not so into the second half, like you said, like the first bit's amazing. But the second half seems to be a little bit more like kind of, yeah, reflective. Can't think of another word, so I'm going to go with that. Do you think this album um, almost kind of 
formed a pattern for Corn where they would become like not a singles band, but it seems like again, there's there's full albums that I think we all love that they've released since. In fact, I'd actually say the last record is maybe the one exception of this in terms of in terms of what I'm about to say. But it seems like after this, they really struck on a groove of putting out albums where they would make sure there was at least one or two like big, stompy, groovy, fun songs on there. And they kind of carried that through afterwards. I mean, obviously, they had Here to Stay on Untouchables, which is huge. Um, I just missed out issues like an idiot. But that had fallen away from me, make me bad, somebody, someone massive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they kind of went into that really fun mid-noughties period where they're doing our like, Twisted Transistor right now. Y'all want a single... It seems like this is the album that really kind of influenced what they would do for, I don't know, at least the next 10 years of their career, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that that's a particularly good... I mean, what, what I, my kind of, I guess, my big controversial opinion of this entire podcast would probably be listening back to Korn, as great as I think they are and as good as I think both of these records are in their own way... Um, I assumed my pick was straight away would be Corn Corn because it's the revolutionary one. I think that context plays such a massive part and it's so unique to the rest of them and blah, 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 blah. It's actually, if, if that old saying that you're only as strong as your weakest link is true, I'm not sure Corn have any good albums. <laughs> they don't have one album Ooh. that doesn't have... Like, well, they don't have, like, some of the stuff on that first album is actually, like, predictable and fake they're pretty bad. I mean, I don't even think Shoots and Ladders is very good, to be perfectly honest. But I like Shoots and Ladders. Oh, I love Shoots and Ladders. Bad. <laughs> that, and the then, first time I saw Corn, I didn't really know their stuff so well. I just knew their more recent stuff. And when they played that, I thought it was one of the most mental things I'd seen. I was like, what am I, what am I watching? What is this? Yeah, I think probably, the, you know, at the time it was that. But I don't think it's aged very well at all. I think there is some some dreadful stuff on follow the leader you know all in the family oh, yeah. is absolutely dreadful camel toast great my eye like there's some really bad bad songs on this on that record and i think if you go through all of corn's dis- discography like for me when we were talking about the slipknot self-titled record and we were saying oh it's top heavy and there's nothing bad on the second half of the slipknot self-titled record there's nothing that's sort of you just go, oh, that is a stinker and I want to get rid of it. You go, well, it's not as good as that absolutely unbelievable run of songs. But on pretty much every Corn album, and can you be a classic album and have two or three songs that are just not good on it? I don't really know. Both I don't think that's are- controversial because I feel probably the same way because there's five other Corn albums that I would pick at least before you get to these two that we're talking about. Wow, and I don't really? know whether it's yeah, I don't know whether it's a generational thing because uh, these I obviously heard these some years after they came out. I would have heard them in the early two thousands. So I wasn't around in the nineties when it was kicking off because I was into boy bands. Um, but just kind of looking at the like I said, I love the Serenity of Suffering. Issues is probably my favourite. I love Untouchables. Love Paradigm Shift. The Nothing. Path of Totality. Like they're the ones that I put on and listen to and love. And these ones were my ones that I bought so that I could find out what metal was about and get into and because of the massive hits like Blind, Freak on a Leash, Got the Life, all the ones we talked about. Um, but I don't love the, the songs that you just mentioned. You know, I don't love Camel Tosis. I don't love All in the Family. You know, I don't love all the, every single song on the record. It's not like a front to back. I love this record. There's, you know, five 
other more contemporary records that I would listen to first. But again, could be generational. So what we're all saying, those guys, our listeners have got it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I'm not sure that they have got it wrong. All I'm saying is, is I'm not sure that as a, like, this seems mad to say it because corn are brilliant. Corn are corn, man. Like they are... Like they're and, and and they were you know they were such an important band for me when I was growing up and particularly those first two records were like just I was an obsessive of about Corn I was obsessed um, with that band but I do think whether it be the context of what happened with New Metal or just you know the fact that that first album's not dated very well or the fact that you know some of the um, questionable lyrical content on parts of follow the leader uh have not dated very well either or the fact again that you know so many people went on to copy because you know let's not forget not only did people go on to copy corn corn a lot of people went on to copy probably more people went on to copy follow the leader Mm. as well like the the kind of the new metals reach for the kind of the pop charts and the stratosphere they're not they're not getting that from the first corn album. They're getting it from Follow the Leader. So both mm. of these records in their own way have been ripped off by, you know, various different bands over the years, which I think somewhat dulls their impact 20 years after the, after the event. Um, I'm not sure there's any corn albums. I mean, I literally, don't, as, as great as they are, and when they're great, fucking hell, they're great. But can they put together an album of consistent like consistently great material i'm not sure they ever have i don't i don't think there's a uh off the top of my head i've revisited it last week i don't know if there's a bad song on untouchables so i would actually also i go to bat again for serenity of suffering and issues probably front to back isn't every single song great brilliant but because of the time and the place that i heard it i really have a really strong attachment to issues so it's really hard for me to emotionally like detach from that one but it was interesting when you were talking about the lyrics just then, because back when I heard them and I was getting into new metal, I didn't really think about lyrics too much. It was just like, oh, this is fun. This is new. This is exciting. This is energetic. I love it. And then you actually read the lyrics for like some of the songs on Freakin' Unleashed. And you're like, oh, that was weird. Like I was, you know, a teenage girl just going, yeah, this is all cool. And you're like, oh, <laughs> it's kind of just like. Uh, shitting on me really it's like it's not very it's not very kind to women especially young women yeah but you know that's that's a time and a place thing it was a different time it's a different time but i think there are some albums that you look at and you go oh well it was a different time like or it was a different time and it feels a bit more um the thing about corn corn is that it feels very um like it's so personal that you just go, well, do you know what? Whether I want to hear it or not, or no matter how painful it is to listen to, that is somebody's genuine thoughts and unfiltered. Totally. totally. Their experiences. Thing. Whereas Follow the Leader, there is a bit of like, you know, hey, this is the cool thing to do and this is the cool thing and this is how we sell records. And it's a little bit like, I don't want to say it's a bit more cynical, but, but it is. It's kind of funny, actually. I mean, not to get like too intellectual about it because it's just music and it's fun. But when you're listening to him sing on the first record about like 
um, sort of people having like tattoos and pretending to be masculine and stuff and how that's like not cool and then you listen to like follow the leader and it's like a bunch of people like posturing and like rapping and yeah. like talking about holding their dicks it's like that's literally what you said wasn't cool like two records ago mm. it's kind of funny it was a, it was a weird like i said it was a massive massive um evolution musically thematically visually like they were just a different bands really by then um yeah fascinating fascinating points of view as well uh, but we do have to pick one. One of these albums, whether we find that it's not just about being perfect, it's not always about picking the best musically. Um, we've got to look at things like influence, impact, um, what it meant for their career, what it meant for metal itself. So we have to pick one of these records to go into the Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame. I think when you're looking at the discography of Korn, we may have our personal favourites, but I do think these are the two records you would probably have to put up for nomination. It does make sense to me. Um, but... We can only pick one of them to go in. So what are you saying, Elena Goodman? Oh, interesting you came to me first. Famously indecisive. Um, <laughs> well, I thought that if you're, if you're first, the pressure's off you to make any deciding <laughs> vote. This one's quite clear cut to me. Um, I, you're going to know which one it is now, but I absolutely love Freak and Unleashed when I heard it. I was just like, this speaks to me, even though it's probably about the music industry or whatever. I was like, oh, this is like the best song best video never heard anything like it and like you said that run of like it's on freak on a leash got the life dead bodies everywhere amazing so despite questionable lyrical content and a slightly sluggish second half i'm gonna pick follow the leader stephen hill oh god i i came into this not knowing when we start recording today i didn't know it's the first time we've done it and i didn't know what i was gonna pick um, and I think the reason for that is, as much like you, Merlin, probably, I think you're right, Untouchables probably is the most consistently good Corn album. I also think Nothing is really good as well. Um, they are a great band and they've released lots of great stuff. I think this one ultimately comes down to a couple of things. Uh, at its best, I think Follow the Leader is pretty much untouchable for definitely for what it is but at its worst um its worst is pretty bad i think um as for corn corn again i can only <laughs> it doesn't have the same impact as it used to but i can remember the impact that it did have and i think it's important to remember just how unique a record it is from the rest of their back catalogue, not just the rest of their back catalogue, but for metal in general. The chain of events that it's set in place is so important. Um, Someone's got a bird going absolutely doolally behind them. I thought that was you. Not me. That's Steve's house. What's that? Birds? A little bird somewhere just going, meh, 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 over and over again. I, I can't hear them, so I don't think it's me. Um... Yeah, so I, I think I have to pick the first one. Fair. It's a good, it's a good I, argument, I, that is. I think 16-year-old me would fucking hate me if I picked Follow the Leader, so I've got to pick the first one, even though I think it is massively flawed. The bird is, that is my bird as well, yes. <laughs> well, I, w I wasn't expecting that. I didn't think I'd have to make a deciding vote, so I've stitched myself right up. Uh, <laughs> right I think oh man 
I think one. I think the Corn album's slightly less, slightly more consistent overall. But for the leaders, definitely got the better songs overall. Uh, now you know how I feel. I actually, Steve's argument was so good, it made me question my own decision, but I've made it now, so I'm not going back. I'm going to go, purely because it's got Got the Life on it, I'm going to go follow the leader. <laughs> that's <what's> <laughs> <gonna> <laughs> so that's that. Not quite as influential. That's, it. that's, your, whole, that's your whole rationale, <laughs> just one song. Yeah. To be fair, Freak on a Leash very heavily influenced my decision because just that song alone was instrumental in my metal development. I mean, I should be clear, it's it's one song when I factor in everything else and the seesaw is completely even and then you, I just need one thing to tip one thing either <laughs> way. And I think, what is the best moment on either of those albums? And you're talking about Blind or Got the Life. Freak If I had to pick... If I had, yeah, but if I had to pick a a corn song to still exist that I could see them play live, I'd pick Got the Life. Freak on a Leash. It's one of the most fun. Nah. I love Freak on a Leash, but nah. Full tongue, innit? Full tongue! Yeah, it's a good tune. It's a good tune, but it's not going in. I also know, I'm pretty sure that um, the corn album came out top overall in the reader thing as well. So I'm going against against the readers. For you listening. Don't fucking don't blame me, all right? My, my hands are tied. Mate, you you basically slagged them off by saying both the albums suck. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. But um, yeah, all right, yeah, read it. You got it wrong. You should have put Untouchables in there. That would be an easy. Should have put Untouchables and Path of Totality. Then we'd be talking. <laughs> no, I uh, love Path of Totality. Yeah, I like Path of, but again, that's quite bitty as well, isn't it? It's bitty. Yeah, I say I love it. There's like three songs on it. Two of them with Squillix on that I, I like. I really love, and then it's quite patchy. All of their albums are patchy. They're all patchy. All of them. Apart from, like you said, Untouchables and also The Serenity of Suffering. I'm going to keep saying it until everybody agrees that it's a good Serenity record. Suffering Every is... song's amazing on the I Serenity don't think it's a bad album. Oh, uh, no, I know. The song with Corey Taylor on sucks. No, it's good. You always say sounds, it's like someone's shouting. He sounds on that album like a grumpy old man shouting at Corn to get off his lawn. Every time I listen to that record, I mean, we're not in an office now, right? We're in our houses, blatantly, it's a pandemic. Every time we're in the office, if we ever put that record on, you'd always try and ruin that song for me by singing over it in a stupid way. But you're trying to ruin my day by playing a song I don't like, so... Uh, (laughs) That whole record's amazing. What's wrong with you? That is the worst record they've done since the... No, it's not. It's so good. I I wouldn't go that far. Soul, Take Me, Rotting in Vain. The the latest one's better. Insane. Oh, it's great. I I think Serenity of Suffering is better than Paradigm Shift. Next in line. I love the Paradigm Shift as well. I don't... I don't know why I'm not talking about the Paradigm Shift more as well. The Paradigm Shift's amazing. Um, that I because that's got one good song on it. Uh, no, it that's has not. Right, that one. More than that. I no, think I'm being facetious. The weakest one since the the third one. Corn Three is the worst. That's that can, we can all agree on that, can't we? Surely that's a pile of crap. Uh, I would say the Untitled Corn album is worse than Corn Three because Corn Three. No, had all I think the on Untitled it, is one best. isn't as bad as what people say. I agree with Steve. Like Corn Three, I remember going to listen. Well, I disagree to with you, so. <laughs> Where are we going to listen to Corn 3? Everyone was, everyone was like hyping up Corn 3 and saying this is a return to like form, this is the best thing ever and it just left me cold and I, it just, it doesn't connect with me. All down though. Paradigm Shift is amazing. Never Never, Spike in My Veins, Pray For Me, Punishment Time, every track on the, oh maybe You've not even named the one good song on there which is Love and Meth. That's also good. 
Where do I run? That's a great song. Where do I go? Anyway. Oh, no, I just want to listen to all of Korn's discography now. Punishment time, that's great. We're all just shouting over each other. It's probably... I'm not aroused. We're gone. Everyone's just shouting over each other now. This probably sounds like a kind of glitchy mess to our poor listeners. Listen, we've made our decision, and by that, I mean me and Elle. Follow the Leader is going into the Metal Podcast Hall of Fame. It joined Seventh Son of the Seventh Son, Antichrist Superstar, and the first Slipknot album. Um, what band should we do next? Curb Dog. Oh. Curb Dog. Okay. Curb Dog are next. <laughs> uh, look out on the Reader's Facebook page, the address of which I say all the time, um, to find out which band we're going to do next. And you can vote for which two albums we debate. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to take some reader questions from that very same Facebook page. First of which comes from Zach Wells, who asks, what is your favourite or best or most interesting band name origin stories? This is quite a hard one. I couldn't say that I know the origin of a lot of band names. I came up with one straight away, but I think it was not quite what the question asked. So it's an origin story, like where the band name came from. I think I just read interesting band names and went with that. So immediately I just thought of Cancer Bats because when I first heard the name Cancer Bats, I was like, why would you call your band Cancer Bats? Like, why? But apparently Liam wanted to mix a disease name with an animal and another name that he was in the running was Pneumonia Hawk, which was on their debut album as a song. Well, wow. so it's not really like an, it's not like an amazing origin story, but I just think it's quite funny. Like, I've just got really used to a band being called Cancer Bats now. It's just not even a thing. But yeah, I it's one of, of those things where um, I've got a T-shirt that literally just says the motherfucking cancer bats on it. And I remember I wore it to work because it's normal to wear those kind of T-shirts on our work. And then I remember I went to a coffee shop or something to get some food. And um, just the, the person at the till just looking at me like <laughs> I was a fucking idiot. And then I was like, <laughs> why was she looking at me like that? And then I looked down at my T-shirt and I was like, oh yeah, that probably is the motherfucking cancer bats probably is quite a weird thing to see if you don't really know what it means. <laughs> I also really like Pneumonia Hawk. I'm kind of sad that that didn't make the cut. It just sounds really funny. Yeah, it's not. Um, my favourite is um, Buried Tomorrow, because Buried Tomorrow, actually, they didn't have a name, and they had a gig the next day, and they were sitting around talking about what the name of their band should be, and one of them went, we need to decide because we're playing in Bury Tomorrow. That's where the gig was in Berlin. Is that true? Are you serious? No, no, it's not true. But I told you before we started that I didn't have anything. And you said, make something up. So I just <laughs> made that up. That's really believable, though. That's good. <laughs> you delivered that so well. I feel like an idiot now. Be the comedian that you want to be. <laughs> Guys, come on. We've got to think of a name. We've got a gig in Berry tomorrow. What did you say? <laughs> I feel like I've been taken in by a horrible scammer. It's that was good. Um, the only one I thought... And the, other, was... the other one that I was going to say as well is the members of Kill Switch Engage um, had to, to kill and engage. And they were going, but what, what engage do we kill? And Adam D said, you've got to kill... Kills... We, you mean we've got to kill Witch Engage? Fucking hell. Wow. Get that for the first 10 <laughs> seconds. Oh, God. Jesus. That's awful. Thanks. That is awful. You could do better. The uh, only one I thought of that was cool was um, Black Sabbath being named after an actual horror film. Um, a 19, cool. late 1960s horror anthology film starring the one and only Boris Karloff. 
Um, and that's cool because it means, you know, metal and horror are two of the best things ever. And they were intertwined right from the very start. How badass is that? So there. And get the re- part of the reason the whole thing came about is because Giza saw people um, queuing up for the film and he kind of thought to himself, isn't it weird that people will pay for something that's scary and horrible? And that's where they made their career and uh, the rest is history. So mm. there you go. Whatever happened to them? Split up. Uh, do you want to do the next one, Al? Ross McLeod asks, although Sonic Highways wasn't an amazing Foo Fighters album, I enjoyed it a lot more after watching the documentary series that went with it. It just made it better. When has another aspect of a band or album made you enjoy the music more? But you can't include live shows. So basically, what thing have you watched or seen or listened to or whatever that made you appreciate a band, but it can't be a live show? I mean, good music videos is a big one. Like, I don't think I would have been so fascinated by artists like Ghost and Marilyn Manson if they didn't have that really strong visual side because it kind of tells the whole story, especially with Ghost. Like, you can't really fully appreciate certain moments of their live show in the same way if you haven't watched all the little skits they do and you haven't watched the music videos and you can kind of go with them on this narrative they're telling. I think that's really important. Um, Carpenter Brute as well in a similar vibe like if I just heard the song Turbo Killer I'm sure I would have really liked it but when you see it with that video like it's just you feel like you've watched a mini film and it just completely changes your um, emotional reaction to it Um, and a weirder one as well I got into Jimmy Cliff's music because I watched the film The Harder They Come for which he was very heavily featured on the soundtrack and he featured in the title role Um, and that kind of really you know, the whole vibe of that film and where it was set and the history behind it um, kind of brought the album to life in a big way for me as well. The soundtrack, which is one of the greatest reggae slash um, Scar albums ever. So there, that's some of mine. What are some of yours? Um, I think we were just talking about soundtracks earlier today, actually. And I think, um, I think, I think you can enjoy uh, a soundtrack by a band that you like purely on its own merit. I think, for example, the um, the Social Network score by Trent Reznor and Axis Ross is really, really good. But obviously, listening to it, having seen the film, does make it better. That's fair to say, isn't it? That's yeah. Right yeah. In all counts. Yeah. It really is such a great soundtrack as well. Like when you watch the movie and there's that tension, it's so good. Mm. I think any any artist that can that that you like who then go into soundtracks um, or sort of scores and stuff and can make a like a really convincing or not even convincing but can make a good go of doing that like the the new um, uh, like I really like Mogwai I know Merlin's a big fan as well and um, uh, I'm not going to do you the honour you pause so I would explain that joke and I'm not going to you no, just no, fair on. enough no. Um, <laughs> not a joke. We both like Mogwai, and um, uh, but Zidane. The, when when Mogwai did the Zidane soundtrack to that to that film, I was like, I'm not really sure how, like this quite noisy post rock band are going to do justice to the sort of score of a film. But now it's become like an extra arm of their. It's almost like they're a completely different band when they do soundtracks to how they are when they do their normal albums, and I think that's really cool. And again, same for Trent Reznor, just a really, really um, versatile artist to be able to make something like Broken by Nine Inch Nails 
but also do like the social network and win an Oscar for it. Like, how could you not be impressed by that? Fucking great. Great shouts. Great shouts. Elle? I'm impressed. Uh, well, I was thinking along the Sonic Highways route of documentaries and it's a bit basic, but probably some kind of monster because I, when I got into metal, I just wasn't bothered about Metallica. I was like, oh, it's just sort of an old people's band that old people like. And then I started, <laughs> that's what I thought. I just, because I was like a teenager and I was like, you know, I just didn't care. Um, but then after I started seeing them at festivals and I got into them and I was like, okay, actually Metallica are cool. And I completely changed my opinion. And then watching some kind of monster uh, just gave me an insight that I didn't really have. And it was kind of that, um, I don't know, that documentary sort of walks the line like between, it, it's a music documentary and it kind of has those music documentary tropes about it. Like there's a, there's a sense to which it is cliched, but then you also kind of just get like a sense of their personalities and how they all work as a band. And it just brought an extra dimension that I didn't know about because I wasn't like a massive fan. I didn't know about all the history. I didn't know about tensions between like Lars and James. I didn't know about any of James's, you know, demons that he was battling or anything. It was just a lot that I didn't know because I'd just never been interested. And I think that made me sort of like them more and listen to them more, to be honest. Mm. Nice. Lovely choices. Have you ever watched a um have you ever watched a film like a sort of biopic of a musician and gone Oh, fucking hell, they're really interesting. I might go and listen to their music. Yeah. Um, oh, what was that? You said Walk the Line, and that made me go, oh, yeah, Johnny Cash. Well, I guess, like, when I was a kid, uh, so Buddy's song, was it Buddy's song or Buddy's story? Yeah. The Buddy Holly musical. And, and I'd never seen a musical before, and I thought that was amazing, and um, that made me really like his music. And then there was a film I watched, which was super cool, and it was about, I can't even remember it now, it's about a country musician that nobody remembered who was massively influential and ironically I can't remember his name. Oh, uh, yes, that was an yeah. amazing, amazing that was incredible. Film. Oh, look, sorry, what was that? You guys, you guys both cut out. What was it? Searching for Sugarman, it's called. Isn't yes, it? Searching for Sugarman. That film is incredible. Like yeah. an incredible, I'm so glad you remembered it because it's buried in my mind. That film's so good. Definitely everybody watch that. It's, even again, that's that's exactly what you said. You're not interested in the kind of music, but the story is so fascinating. Yeah, really good. That amazing. Uh, Steve, would you like to field the next question? Yeah, whereabouts are we? Uh, if Mel Hammer was a sitcom, <laughs> would you play yourselves or get someone to play you? And that's from Scott Sim uh, Situmpul. Sorry if you've said your name wrong, Scott. I feel like I butchered that a little bit. Um, if Mel Hammer was a sitcom. All right. We love Scott on this podcast. You ask loads of questions. Um, hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. We hi, like Scott. We, we respect your name. <laughs> Sorry, I just that was thrown at me at the last minute. And I, I My fault. Uh, no, nah, no. Nah. Um, if not, I'd. I mean, the only actors I can think that people have said look like me are the guy from is the guy from Jonathan Creek. <laughs> what the main guy? Jonathan yeah, Creek pe- himself. The one who's always on QI now. Alan Davies? People used to say that to me all the time, before I grew a beard, admittedly. Is it because you've and got curly, curly brown hair? Yeah, when I used to like have my hair down and I, and I didn't have a beard, maybe. Nowadays, probably a bit stupid. Um, apparently, there's some guy in Vikings who looks like me that people keep saying as well. I'd like to think it's one of the really big butch manny ones, but it's probably not. It's probably not. <laughs> Definitely not. 
Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, I'll, I'll just you know what I'll just play myself then. Fine, I'll just play yeah. me play like, opposite Bruce Willis and an actor to play out that I can't think of off the top of my head. Amy Adams. Amy out. Adams, interesting. We did this the other day, didn't we? And I thought quite a good one, and now I can't you remember. Did a really good one. I was on holiday, and somebody asked a similar question. You picked Alison Brie. That was, I thought it, was Alison really Brie. Cool. Because I love, um, I love her as Diane in BoJack Horseman. Like, obviously, uh, I'm a journalist. Diane's a journalist. Uh, it's just, I love BoJack. <laughs> Steve's laughing at me. I love BoJack Horseman. And some of the things she says and does, I'm like, oh, I get you, Diane. And she's also really good in community and glow. And we have similar kind of like, you know, dark hair, pale skin thing going on. So she could probably look like me. Mm. Oh, it's me like Alison Brie definitely I, I, I might get you're just I'm just being given Bruce Willis am I like any bald man <laughs> any man with any but not even man anything anything with no any hair. bald thing yeah <laughs> just like a lemon with a face drawn on it a wheat <laughs> a wheat mix with so this, this will be oh, Metal Hammer mix. this will be Metal Hammer the sitcom Alison Brie Merlin Orders Light and a lemon with a face drawn on it <laughs> I actually like what you said about Weetabix. Like, I mean, I'd watch it. Well, I'd be in crum- it. But... If you crumble off some Weetabix and stick it to the lemon, it would make good stubble. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, there is there is someone a bit of Weetabix. There is <laughs> there is someone a bit more accurate that you said you look like, Stephen. I can't remember who it is now. Be me. Yeah. That I said I look like. Or maybe not. I can't remember. Anyway, we it's weird trying to cast ourselves. Bruce Willis is a good one. He's a handsome action hero. He's about 70 though, isn't he? Let's All right, Bruce Willis. Yeah, but you can de-age people using too. technology. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't work. That's the thing. And, you know, Hollywood actors look like 20 years younger than they are these days, so it's fine. What a weird sitcom this will be. Um, <laughs> well, he's not actually 70. Maybe he is. I don't know. Who cares? Move who on. Who would you pick, Steve? Who would you pick? <laughs> um, well, I sound like a prick if I say who I pick, don't I? Because you just—I mean, you picked that. You were like, "Oh, me and Alison Brie, we're basically the same person. We're really similar." And you came across pretty arrogant, I have to say, Eleanor. I mean that I look like her. I said she could. I said she could look like me, as in she could downgrade herself into a mere person instead of a Hollywood. Yeah, hold on a minute. This is getting a bit self-deprecating. What's going on? <laughs> me, me and Alison Brie, we're both journalists. We're both in Bojack Horseman, a fictional cartoon series. Nobody uh, needs to downgrade anybody. We're just casting for a fucking sitcom. Let's all calm down. Uh, I don't I don't know. I get told I don't like loads of people. And it's just anyone with no Aaron hair. Lewis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a shame. <laughs> but, well, this has gone downhill. We should put up a picture of you and get people to give suggestions. No, no, that is the last thing I want to happen. <laughs> <laughs> this sitcom's rubbish. It's not. It's not getting commissioned. Forget about it. Andy Poole asks: um, A few rock and metal bands have been in The Simpsons. What metal bands would you like to see in an episode, and what would the plot be? And then he's pointing out that other animated comedy shows are available. Yes, they are. Oh, and he also says, stay safe and rock on. Cheers, Andy. You too. Thanks, Andy. Uh, go on, then. Who are you casting in The Simpsons? What, oh, what bands really are you obvious. desperate to see in season 35 of The Simpsons? Mine's really obvious. I bet you can guess. Can you guess? Ghost? 
No, it's got to be a band and a plot line. So what am I going to pick? Trent Reznor or Marilyn Manson. You've got to tell me if I'm right. No, they're both wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know then. I picked... Don't just go, I bet you can guess mine. And then when I guess it, just go... I bet you could guess <laughs> if you thought about it. I because don't know. I was talking about The Simpsons and I was talking about Blinky, right? So Some kind of fish band? Who, I'm going to pick Gajira. Right, okay. And they have to save the Blinkies and the other mutated creatures okay. in the rivers and lakes of Springfield. Okay, that's good. I would probably watch that. What would you choose, Steve? I don't know. I don't watch cartoons. Oh, sorry. You're so cool. Oh, I don't look like Bruce Willis. I don't watch cartoons. I don't He's watch upset cartoons. because of the last question. I'm not upset because of the last question. I can't leave any other cartoons. It's not. It's The Simpsons. I've not watched The Simpsons for years. Oh, okay. Well, to be honest, I'd feel the same because my answer would be I'd probably cast Sabaton on it uh, so they can roll in on a tank, decimate Springfield and kill off all the characters so we don't have to watch any more Simpsons episodes ever. But you love it. You're watching it through. No, it's been terrible for about 20 years now. That is a long time. So um, I, wouldn't cast, I, would, I wouldn't cast it because it's just not a good show anymore. And I'm saying that as someone who's been watching it back through from the start recently and remembering how amazing it was. Was there ever oh. an Ace Venture Pet Detective cartoon? There was, yeah, there was there? actually, in the 90s, very briefly. I would cast... Ooh, who could be in Pet Detective Ace Venture? Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Carrey? <laughs> Is that the, the Jim Carrey impersonator? <laughs> like, um, just another, get another death metal band in that. Yeah, get Cannibal Corpse back in, that'd be good. Get Cannibal Corpse, animated Cannibal Corpse back in, and the plot would be... Oh God, they have to do something. I'll tell you what, Glad, I'm, re- I'm really glad that we're not a uh, production company for any kind of TV shows because we made a fucking miserable hash of it. Oh, wait, why are we casting things? Because <laughs> that's what they've asked. Podcast cast. Ca- the cast cast, is this? It's, uh, yeah. it's cast anyway, so, you know. No, not having that. We should move on. This is Northern ends out of it. This has gone horribly wrong. Gajira saving sea creatures is the one. And then killing the Simpsons. Rich Hobson asks, what would be your pick for a drive-in concert headliner? I'm reckoning Ghost would make it spectacularly theatrical and fit the whole setup. Give me them 50s horror vibes. It's a good shout, that. It is a good shout. Yeah, it's really good. Do you know, do you guys know Secret Cinema? Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone who doesn't know Secret Cinema, it's a thing that happens in London where you buy a ticket and you get given a character for a movie and uh, most of the time you buy a ticket and you know what the movie is but occasionally they do them like they used to where you don't know what the movie is and you have to get this character in your email and then it'll have like a proper costume that you have to wear so everybody shows up in fancy dress to this warehouse and then they have like um, a sort of set that you go around and you interact with actors and that kind of thing that's all related to the movie and then you watch the film at the end. So I was thinking it would be really cool to have a drive-in concert that's a bit like secret cinema where you have to kind of like dress up and theme it because Rich is completely right, like Ghost would really fit that 50s horror film drive-in movie thing. So funnily enough, you just talked about Sabaton. I was like, what if you had to redesign your car like a tank and then you had to wear like camo and army fatigues and you had to go to a sabaton show as like a sabaton thing 
which is super, super nerdy, but I reckon people would do it because I've been to a Sabaton gig and everyone wears camo. I think people probably would go for that, especially if they're Sabaton fans. Do you know what I mean? T- right? Turn your car into a tank, go watch Sabaton. Up for anything. Um, like I, I put for this uh, Carpenter Brute again, talking about all those visuals and stuff. I think that could be really good fun. And then I thought, act, you know, this driving thing could be fun, but it's hard to really think about stuff that I would want to sit in a car and watch and soak in. So I started to think about maybe, I know this is a thing that was happening a lot anyway, but um, kind of maybe like soundtracks getting performed live, like orchestras with the visuals of the film. Like that would be cool. Stuff like Lord of the Rings. I put gravity in here. Uh, I love the Avengers Endgame soundtrack. Um, you know, get, seeing the film getting played with a live orchestra in there. Um, I know it's not quite the same thing, but that's something I would definitely be happy to park up, sit back with some popcorn and watch and soak in. I think that'd be really cool. Well, what with the old 1950s vibes that Rich was talking about, which I think is very pertinent, you want something, I think, that would um, hark back to the era that he's talking about. Um, Ghost is one, but recently, Glenn Danzig has released his album of Elvis covers. So, (laughs) Vegas Danzig at the drive-thru doing his Elvis covers. It's a shame that it's so bad, that record. (laughs) But, you know... Might be good. Could be a laugh, innit? You could dress up as Elvis. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Bruce Willis down, Elvis. I'm putting it down to the heat. This is, uh, this is going weird. Well, let us open any windows. Well, no, I said, well, <laughs> well someone <laughs> obviously did because there was a bird going absolutely doolally for about 10 minutes. I didn't shut my windows. Fuck you. I shut my windows because I respect the art form. That is it for the Matt Hummer podcast this week. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Stay safe out there, everybody. Keep looking out for each other. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. We ain't going nowhere, guys. Goodbye. Goodbye. Have a wonderful time. Take care of each other. Have a good life. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Bye. (laughs) Say bye, Steve. Oh, bye. 